Well, I want to share... <laughs> I want to share some things from my heart tonight because I think that we are living in the most amazing time probably in all of church history and maybe mankind's history. I, I, I just think the days that we are living in are so amazing and the body is being mobilized and missiologists, according to their statistics, believe that there's more Christians in the earth right now than there are in heaven because of the escalation of souls that have been saved in this last generation exceeds all the numbers that have come to know Jesus since he died on the cross. Now that's, what a day, <laughs> what a day, you know? And so we're living in this amazing time and there's miracle signs and wonders. I mean, I mean, you know, it wasn't that long ago when, you know, when the, the um, healing ministers became known and that it was like this big thing. Everyone would go up to the crusades and hope that they would get healed. But now it's like every day on the streets, in the workplace, everywhere. I mean, almost every believer knows how to minister healing. Almost every believer knows how to prophesy. Almost every believer, at least, you know, if you're in our stream, um, <laughs> I guess I should qualify. I mean, true believers, okay. So, <laughs> and if you're not one, we can fix it. Okay. So, God, God wants us to move in everything that he said. He, he, he commissioned us to go out and preach the gospel with signs following to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, to cast out devils. And that is becoming normal Christianity in, in many streams. And it should be, it, it is Bible, right? And we're seeing it happen worldwide. I was just with a uh, pastor in Germany just about a month or so ago. And uh, he said that he had led, this is in Germany, he had led 1,000 Muslims to the Lord, over, he said that's a conservative estimate, in his church from January to May, 1,000 Muslims he led to the Lord. And these aren't just people saying a prayer. These are baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and serving God passionately with everything that they have. In fact, he was only doing two services a Sunday, morning and evening. And they said, we, we need church on Monday. We need church on Tuesday. We need church on Wednesday. He does church every day of the week except Saturday. And now they're pushing him for Saturday because they're passionate, passionate believers and want to grow in the Lord. This is the day we're living in, you know. I have a friend who ministers uh, to Muslims worldwide and a lot of the, the leaders up in high places. And he has led millions of Muslims to the Lord. And these are documented on carts. Millions. You know, it's just push your easy button. You know, don't let the devil tell you how, how difficult things are in this day. Because for us, it is not difficult, okay? And we've got some challenges that we'll talk about in a bit. But right now, I just want to make you happy. Okay. <laughs> and the miracles. I mean, they're, they're, you know, miracles that aren't even written in the Bible. You know, Jesus said, greater works than these shall you do. My friend in India... He was, and this is on media, by the way. You can see it right on film. He was doing a crusade in India, and a woman uh, came up for prayer. She was blind from birth, and she wants healing for her eyes. The thing is, she has no iris and no pupa. Now, he believes in what we call creative miracles. God can create the iris. God can create the, the pupil. So he prays for her, and all of a sudden, she can see perfectly. 
She's counting the fingers he's holding up. He's, he's going across the room saying, what do you see now? And she is describing everything. She is seeing absolutely everything per perfectly. The thing is, she still has no iris and no pupil. The next day, she's out walking around the marketplace and getting on the buses and everything. To this day, she still is and still has no iris and pupil, but she's seeing perfectly because of the miracle of God. Come on, give him the glory. <laughs> I just stood in awe when I was watching the, the uh, media clip of it. I just was crying. I thought, oh, God, you are, you are so amazing and you are so good. And, and you just love to shock and awe us all the time, right? So then they told me about the next miracle. And I said, tell me more. You know, when you get around people of faith, you just want to hear all their stories. And I try to tell these almost everywhere I go because, you know, if you testify, you know, it can start happening again. And so I just really want to encourage you to go for it in God. And you never know, maybe something like that will happen in this weekend even. But um, the next story he, he, he shared was this man. This was his son, his 20-year-old son. Um, there was a man who needed uh, he, uh, healing for his ears. He could hear out of one ear because he had an ear over here. But on this side, he didn't have an ear. It was just skin. He said, I want to hear. And so the 20-year-old prayed for this man to hear, and he could hear perfectly out of the side of his head where there was no ear. They tested it and everything. So I was sharing this testimony in Dubai. Just a little while ago, I was in Dubai, and I was sharing this testimony, building people's faith. And um, the pastor said to me afterwards, he said, you know that story? That evangelist is my friend, and that miracle happened in my church. I know that man who can hear with no ear, you know? Uh, oh, this is amazing. So then the third story was that there was a man that came forward. His wife brought him forward for healing, and he had had his tongue surgically removed because of cancer on him. So he had no tongue. He hadn't been able to speak. He could make guttural sounds, but he couldn't form, form words. So she brought him forth, and he started speaking, but still no tongue. Now, I don't have the verification on that one, but I believe it, okay? So, so um, my friend went to the Lord and said, Lord, you know, the woman saw with no iris or pupil, and the, the man heard with no ear, and, and the man spoke with no tongue. What are you showing? You know, what are you, you doing? And the Lord says, your spirit man has eyes. Your spirit man has ears. Your spirit man has a tongue. And your spiritual nature can usurp your natural nature, and you can live out of your spirit, and you don't have to um, submit to the weakness of the flesh. So he got really excited about the potentials, and he started dreaming big and thought, what would it be like if he prayed for a man or a woman who had no legs? And all of a sudden, they were healed. They could walk with their spirit man legs, but still no legs manifesting. <laughs> and then he said, and arms, you know, because many people in... Um, in India, you know, they've, they've, they've lost their limbs, but they don't have the money for the prosthetics, and so they don't have arms. So he says, what if I prayed for them, and they're picking up their coffee cup with their spirit man arm, you know, 
Like, can you just imagine this? And I, I was just flipped out. I was so excited. I thought, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Can you imagine if this were to happen in America and the media got a hold of it? I mean, what if it happened here this weekend? It would be like all of Dallas would want to come out and see it. It would be all over CNN. It would be all over the world. I, I, I just really believe that. You know, and that's our God. And that's what he's doing in this hour. Just a few weeks ago, we were hosting our Women on the Frontlines World Convention. Brandy Belt was flying from Ohio over to Phoenix. And on the plane, this is Delta Airlines, just a few weeks ago in America, a woman dies on her plane, two rows back from where she was. So the stewardess is asking, is there a doctor or a paramedic on the plane? And so, you know, a paramedic was there and was working on this woman. He says, well, there's no pulse, no heartbeat. And they worked on her for about 20 minutes. And then, you know, the, the pilots and everyone were talking about what to do. And they said, we've got to make an emergency landing. And Brandy was thinking, but Lord, I got to get to women on the front lines. <laughs> I thought, okay. And, and then she remembered, yes, and this woman has a destiny to live out. And so she started praying into that destiny. And all of a sudden, the woman started breathing, talking, moving. She was a miracle, a miracle of resurrection. This is in America, just a few weeks ago, on a plane, you know? And these things are happening all the time. People are getting healed all the time through the body. You don't even hear all the testimonies because we are living in such an amazing day. It's an awesome day. And I am very, very impressed. I just want to say this. I mean, God loves every generation, but I'm very impressed with the millennials, aren't you? You know, with the 18 to 35, 36-year-olds, aren't they amazing? And the Gen Xers, I mean, the Lord showed me. Those of you that are Gen Xers, stand up right now. Stand up, all you Gen Xers. Um, what age is that? Maybe around 37 to what? Um, 37 to, to 50 or something, 55 or something like that. Okay. <laughs> And if you want to be a Gen Xer, you can stand too. If you want to be a Gen Xer. This is, <laughs> the Lord showed me something for you that I think is so awesome. Is that the Lord says that he calls you gappers. Gappers. Because what he's going to do in these coming days is he's going to make the generations flow together seamlessly. And the thing about the Gen Xers is they have observed and understand the baby boomers somewhat. They understand the issues of the baby boomers, you know, because they had to, to put up with it. And they also understand the millennials because they're very close to the millennials, right? And there's a lot of similarities because of the the, the technology. The millennials were, or the uh, Gen, Gen Xers were the first lock key kids and of course the millennials come up and so the Gen Xers understand what they want. They were the first ones introduced to technology and things like that. And so the Lord is saying that there's an anointing on you as gappers to bridge the gap. We might be the only time in mankind's history where we don't have a generation gap. It could be because it's going to be seamless. How many of you would like that? 
that we just help each other flow. And you're going to be a bridge, a, a tr tremendous bridge and a voice. And the Lord showed me that Gen Xers are going to be so anointed because they will be able to speak as as like baby boomers and they'll be able to speak as millennials it's it's like there's almost this 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 multiplicity of voice that is going to come through them that 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 is going to really um bring settling and help each generation understand each other and so i bless you with that anointing i bless you with it in jesus name so we are living, I mean, there's all that good news going on, right? So we're going to keep our mind on that good news. But we also have to, at times, we have to look at kind of the challenges that are before us. Not so that we can get depressed, but so that we can find solution, right? And so it's really important that we discern the times so we know what we need to do. And the days that we are living in are actually very treacherous days. Paul said to Timothy that in the last days there would be difficult times or treacherous times because men would be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He also mentioned that they would be holding to forms of godliness and denying the power. And so we need to discern the times because we need to choose how we position ourselves at such a time as this. And when you make a quality decision to position yourself, it strengthens you for the race and gives you the fortification you need to excel in God's agenda for his glory to be made manifest in the earth. And so I believe tonight we're going to make a decision that is going to be very powerful and is going to release um, ability in us to release the glory of God. So in the day that we're living in, one of the things that concerns me greatly as I look over the body of Christ is that there is oftentimes found an abandonment of the word of God. And there's oftentimes people who don't read their Bible anymore. They don't think they need to. And yet, it's really clear in the word that we are, we are to be in the word. It converts the soul. It lights your path. It gives you direction, keeps you holy. It sanctifies you. You know, all through the scripture, just read Psalm 119, and you'll probably get a full package. But also, John 17, 17, Jesus said, you know, to to sanctify them in truth your word is truth and so in a day where there is so much confusion we need to more than ever before love the word of god and we need to adhere to the word of god and not change it to make it say what we want it to say The greatest enemy, I believe, that we are going to face in this day is not the spirit of terrorism and not the spirit of communism. I know that there's all kinds of stuff going on with the terrorist attacks and with North Korea and all of that, but those are not the enemies that you should be keeping your eye on. The greatest enemy for you to keep your eye on 
not to be fearful of, but so that you'll know the solution to overcome, is the spirit of humanism. And the spirit of humanism just wants you to believe that you have the full rule and reign, and you can make any decision you want, and you can live according to what you feel is right. And if the rules out there aren't right, you can change them to make it be right for you. And that spirit of humanism is in the world, but it's also in the church. Now, again, let's not get overwhelmed because I came with good news tonight, not bad, but I think we have to examine this. And there's sometimes we need to be sober. Or sometimes we have to look at, at the way things are so that, so that we can know how God would have us to move forward in it so that we can give him honor, the honor that's due his name. In this hour, we are going to find the Daniels, like the Daniel that, that, that was in Babylon but never bowed to the Babylonian spirit. We're going to see the Josephs who didn't bow to the idols of Egypt and to the corrupt ways, the temptations of that day. We're going to find the John the Baptist who, who didn't bow to religious spirits. We're, we're going to have a company of of believers raised up in this hour who will not bow and who will not not sell themselves out for anything but God himself because we're crazy in love with him. We're going to see the Esthers raised up who will say, if I die, I die, but I'm, I'm going to represent the Lord, and I love him more than life itself. We're going to see the Deborahs raised up who will be judging under the righteousness of God and willing to go out into battle for it. We're going to see a great company raised up in this hour that will be the most powerful company of radical believers that has ever lived. And you get to choose whether you want to be in it because God will win by many or by few. And there's a current flowing in the body right now that is, is marrying the world. And God gave us a warning in the scripture. And he said, love not the world or the things of the world, because if the love of the world is in you, the love of the Father is not. I mean, it's just scripture, okay? I didn't make that one up. It's out of James. You can read it yourself. And so we cannot, just in the name of love and grace and, and mercy, compromise the word of God, endorsing ways of the world that are clearly going to hurt the generations to come. We need to be a body who loves. We need to be known for our love. That's what Jesus said, that they will know that you are Christians by your love. But love speaks the truth. In Ephesians 4, he says, speaking the truth in love so that we can grow up into all aspects of him. And so we need to know the truth, and the truth will set us free. And we need to settle some issues, and in the midst of it, weighing things up, saying, what does love look like in this situation? Some of the things that we just have to talk about, we have to talk about these in the church, because... There are issues that we have to deal with and learn what God's heart is for and what his solutions are for. But I remember, you know, with the whole gay marriage issue that is, has already been passed, 
on political platforms legalized in our nation is that it was not that long ago when they were doing you know surveys where over 90% of the population of the United States of America this is just back in the 90s was against homosexuality as a lifestyle and gay marriage wasn't even on the table yet and that wasn't that long ago and I remember, you know, back in, maybe it was 2003 or something like that, we were doing some uh, television uh, recording in Vegas, Las Vegas, which the world calls the sin capital, okay? Sin city, they call it. So we were on the streets of Vegas because they were lobbying, the gay activists were lobbying for gay marriage, and they kept putting the bills before the government, and if they got... Um, uh, brought down, they would just put another one on the table, okay? And they kept pushing, 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 pushing until they got it. Their persistence got them what they were looking for. That's somewhere in the Bible, isn't it? Turn to Luke 18 and you'll see it there. And so they were persisting and they got it. And so before it passed, though, we were on the streets asking people right on the uh, strip in Las Vegas. These are people that go to Vegas to gamble, to party, to go to shows, to, you know, do, you know, do all kinds of things, okay? So we're going up to people, hey, you know, what do you think of, you know, the potential of gay marriage in the nation? And there wasn't one person back then. This is just like 2003 or something. There wasn't one person that said, yeah, I agree with that. And I think that that would be good if it's for, you know, people that want that. I think that would be good. Not one. And we interviewed probably at least 30 people, okay? Not one of them. And we just randomly picked people. One of the most comical to me was, um, we, you know, because we were just going around, and what do you think? And what do you think? You know, and we just kind of put the mic in front of these two young men, and we, we didn't realize initially that they were in the midst of a drug deal. And it was very uncomfortable for a moment, okay? It was like, oh, you know, and so they're putting their stuff away and, you know, and, you know. And I said, so, um, <laughs> you know, we're with XP Media and we're doing a program on, on, on gay marriage. And it's, oh, whew, we're not nailed yet. So I said, what do you think about gay marriage? And the dealer, the dealer guy, he says, man, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. And I said, it's wrong? He says, yeah, man, it's just wrong. And I said, well, why would you say that? Why do you think it's wrong? And he thought for a moment, he says, because the Bible says so. The Bible says it's wrong. <laughs> now, here's a guy who's in the midst of a drug deal, and all of a sudden, he pops, pops out with Bible verses. Okay. <laughs> Strong conviction on that subject, though. <laughs> and then we put the mic in front of the the younger guy who was buying the drugs and um, says, what about you? What do you think? And he says, yeah, man, it's wrong. And I said, so you think it's wrong too? He says, yeah, it's totally wrong. And I says, and why do you think it's wrong? And he thought for a moment, he says, because where all the babies come from? Because back then, they didn't even have it in their mind to think of how the babies were going to come. But now, just 13 years later, it's fully accepted in most of society, and everyone knows how the babies 
get brought into homosexual marriages. We're not innocent in that anymore. What happened? And not only that, I think the most concerning thing that we need to look at is why is it in the church that we would abandon the word of God, which is very, very clear on the subject. It is, it is clear about sexual sin. I'm not like, you know, you don't even have to just isolate homosexual sin. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, incest, perversion, all of those are mentioned in the Bible, and it says, thou shalt not. Now, so what is the big question on that? What is, what is the... the the issue that needs to be changed there. If the word says that, why are we changing it to make it feel, say what we want it to say? And the answer is, is because of emotional issues, basically, because we don't want to be judgmental. We don't want to be critical. We want to love everybody. We want everyone to feel accepted. And all those things are good. Those are all attributes of the heart of God. So what does love look like then when you are loving and kind and yet truthful, when you're merciful and yet you adhere to the word? What does all that look like without compromise? And so we have a war inside the church concerning this one. This is just the first issue. Okay, this is just one. There are many issues that are all simultaneously hitting us hard. But at the center of it all, the big deal is, let's abandon the word. We don't like what the word says. We don't like the option of the word, so we'll change the option. And if you go on Google right now, you will actually find born-again Christians who wrote theology to support gay marriage. Twisting the word, they just brought different portions out, out of their... their I'm not even going to call it inter interpretation. I'll call it commentary on it. And are, are trying to use it to make people say it's okay to believe that way. And if we believe that way, the fruit of that belief is going to destroy the nation. It'll destroy it the next generation. And I'll talk about that more later. So that is one issue. Another thing that we have is um, the transgender issue that is now. And, you know, I knew years ago, prophetically, I knew that if the homosexual issue was to be, be pushed, and I prophesied this openly, I said, if the church does not pray this one through and love this one through in truth, and adhere to the truth, the next thing that's going to happen is that transgender and pedophilia is going to be pushed. And both those things are on the board right now. And even Christians are now saying, yeah, well, you know, I mean, you know, if they want to, you know, if they're a boy but they want to be a girl, I don't see what's wrong with that. You don't? That's because you haven't read your Bible. That's because you abandoned the word. We cannot abandon the word. All things and all ways do not lead to God. And so we're either going to be a believer in Jesus Christ and be a disciple of him, or we're going to be outside of that discipleship. That is the choice that we have to make. And it doesn't matter what 
you know, you could be Generation Z, you could be a millennial, you could be a Gen Xer, you could be a baby boomer, a traditionalist, whatever you are, you need to make a choice in your own heart of how you're going to walk in this hour. We have the abortion issues, of course, just really on the table. But again, many Christians supporting abortion. And there are late-term abortions, many of them, too. We've got universalism. Always lead to God. That's emerging. And we're being pressured. Well, you've got to love everyone. And the truth is, yes, you do. But what does love look like? What does love look like when you speak the truth in love? What does it look like? And what is inside of love? Love wants the highest good for the sake of another. You hear, well, you know, everyone's God's children. The Muslims are God's children. The Buddhists are God's children. The Hindus are God's children. And yes, he created them. But God said to those who believe in the name of Jesus, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And now we've got Christians saying that's too narrow a thinking. I, I just want to love everybody and accept everybody, and we can all collaborate and work together and have peace on the earth, and it won't come that way. It's a lie. It's a great deception. When we start thinking we can be God and what we choose in our mind, eating off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, dictate how the world is going to go. But again, God wins, we know. And you just have to determine if you're going to be on the winning team because he wins. That's already settled. So I'm not going to be one that wants it. Well, I'll just, I'll just twist the word and make it say what I want it to say because, you know, it's a bit emotional to to just stick to the word. I might lose some friends. I might lose some money. I might lose some business. I might lose, I might lose some church members. Well, let's lose them. Let's lose them. And let's be with God. There's such a party spirit in the body of Christ. Where does that come from? The love of the world? Do, do you know there's almost like a culture of drunkenness in the body of Christ? It's growing by the day. You've probably heard all about it. And it's not just people attending church on a fringe. It's even leaders. And if you stand up and say, you know what? Really, drinking alcohol is not a wise thing to do, especially if you're a leader. I mean, we're supposed to help people come to know God and I mean you can live your life the way that God reveals to you but for me I, I, I want to live my life in such a way that if a child were to copy everything that I do and say they wouldn't fall they would be led to God and that's a good plumb line isn't it could I do this in front of a child could I say this in front of a child would this action hurt a child like, if I gave what I'm partaking of right now to a child, would it harm them? And if so, then maybe it's not good fruit. Because Jesus said a good tree will not bear good, bad fruit. So if it's good, it won't ever bear bad fruit. And some of this drunkenness that's out there, it's like alcohol being consumed in just crazy portions is bringing bad fruit. People have told me, yeah, but what about coffee? And I thought, well, I've never seen coffee 
destroy a family. I think we just have to seek the Lord for wisdom. And the reason I'm bringing it up, because the, the, the latest trend is for Christians to smoke. I don't know if you've been hearing about that. Electronic cigarettes, cigars. Well, like, why would you do that? There's even a warning from the government that it's bad for you. Like, why would you? Even the unsaved world knows it's bad. Why would Christians, and especially Christian leaders, want to partake of that? I mean, are, like, how dull have we become? Are, have we abandoned the Lord and his word that far that we would partake of the world and preach it from the pulpits, encouraging other people to do it too? And if you oppose it, you're called religious? The Bible says, in the end, they will call good evil and evil good. And I want to determine the heart of God. And I'm not, I'm not bringing this out so that we can be in some kind of legalistic trapping or put a bunch of rules out there. I, I mean, that's a bunch of nonsense. But, but from the heart, when I got born again, I was an enormous sinner before I, I got born again. The moment I got born again, God came in and all those things just fell off. I just led a whole different life. I never had anyone tell me, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. The Spirit of God just did it. And if we're following the Spirit, it will be good. We don't have to be married to the world. In fact, we're to save the world, not get inside the sin of the world that is bringing them down. So what does love look like as we address these issues? What about marriage and family? You know, it's, it's, it's like it's just not a problem just bail out on your marriages and i you know please hear me i i really feel for those who have had broken marriages and have gone through divorce and have been hurt it's a horrible thing and i've 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 wept with those who have gone through the struggles and it's a hard thing to come through and we need to show compassion and love and help rebuild and help establish they need so much compassion. But there is a mindset in the world that if we're not careful, we'll come into the church and it has, well, I'm tired of this one. This one's better. I'll go for this one. And then we just let them back in the pulpit and we, you know, do whatever. Not a problem, you know, <laughs> whatever. Got tired of that one. That one was nasty, so he got this one. And she didn't like her husband because he wasn't bringing her flowers, so he got this one. It's better. And, and, and we're accepting it? When Jesus and Paul were talking New Testament, had things to say about that? You can search out the scriptures for yourself on that one. But we abandon the word because it's uncomfortable emotionally for us. So yeah, but those two people loved, and what are you going to do? Are they supposed to live single the rest of their life? Well, yeah, I guess so. But you see, if you don't feel you can do that, then you haven't connected with the love of God that can fulfill your every need yet. We sang about that tonight so beautifully. That the love of God is all we need. And we need to start living that word because we're corrupting. We are violating the word of God, violating the word of God on so many issues because we don't want to be religious. We just want everything to go well. We want everything that we want. We want, we want it our way. What about drugs? Whew. such a 
smorgasbord of drugs out there that you can't even keep up with all the names of them. And they're killing people. But there's many in the church who are addicted and to pornography and, and also dishonor of authority. That's huge in this day. So in Matthew 3 and verse 10, let's just tur turn there. We have to do something with the root. And that's what I felt the Lord share with me is that tonight we're going to do some business that's going to activate something in the spirit that will make a difference. It says, as for me, in, in verse, um, no, I'm sorry, in verse 10 of Matthew 3, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. An axe laid at the root. An axe laid at the root. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork in his hand, he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So God wants us to look at the root. What is the root of this level of rebellion? How did we get here? How did we get here? I had um, a, a, a really good friend of mine now. He um, is just such a beautiful man of God. But he lived in a homosexual lifestyle for over 25 years. And when I first met him, he, he was very much steeped in this lifestyle. He wasn't saved yet. And, and uh, the Lord assigned me to him. And uh, I won't tell you the whole story, but he ended up receiving Jesus Christ as Savior. After he got born again, he's saying to me, he says, you know, I, I'm born again, but I still am gay because I've got these feelings toward men. And I said, well, let's, let's talk about that. I said, God loves you so much. And when he created you, he, he created you in so much love. And, and he, is your, he is your creator. And as your creator, he wrote a manufacturer's handbook for you. It would be like if you created a car you would do the manual for the car so that people who drove that car would know the limitations on that car and the potential of what it can do. It'll tell you when you have to change the oil, when you, you know, what you have to do to look after it to give it maximum life. So God wants you to have a good life because he loves you. And I said, I really love you. And so I have to speak the truth. I can't agree with you in your thinking on this, but... But let's just unpack it, because I want to hear your heart. I want to hear about your struggles. I love you. All right? And so he was sharing a few things. And I said, you know, I remember my, my son, my youngest son. When he was 16, he bought his first car. We had told our boys that um, if they wanted a license when they were 16, which was in Canada when they were allowed to get their license back then, um, if you want to get your license when you're 16, um, you have to be able to buy your own car, cover your own insurance, your own repairs, your own gas, everything. And so we thought that if we gave them that challenge and they fulfilled it, that they would be responsible enough to drive. 
they both came up with the money, the car, the insurance, and everything, but we, we revisited the part about being mature enough to drive. It was just sheer passion that they worked with to get the money to buy that car. And so after my youngest son had his little 4x4, he bought a 4x4, and we get a call one day, and he says, Dad, can you come and get me? I'm stuck in the creek. So his dad went out to get him. It wasn't a creek, it was a river. <laughs> and we had to tow him out of the river and bring the vehicle back. And the vehicle was damaged. The motor was damaged, the carburetor, whatever you call those things. Like, there's stuff under the hood. It was damaged. <laughs> and it was going to cost him a lot of money to fix the car, you see? And so he was, he was upset about it. And I said, honey, what made you think that your car was a boat? Your car is amazing. I mean, it's a four by four. It can do amazing things, but it does have limitations and you have to stay within the perimeters of those limitations so that it doesn't break down. So that it gives you optimum performance. And that's like our lives, isn't it? God has told us the perimeters so that we can have optimum performance with our life. And when you violate what God says is healthy for you, you're going to get hurt. And I said to my friend, I don't want you hurt. You've been hurting too much already. You've been so confused. He had shared with me some of the painful things he'd gone through in relationships and stuff. And I said, God doesn't want that for you. He loves you too much. He wants you to be happy. He had a father that despised him and despised his creativity and his sensitivity. No wonder. He was just looking for a man's love. And I said, I'll introduce you to the man. I'll introduce you to his love. And I'll, and I'll walk with you through it because God loves you. And he wants to change your life. He wants to, to serve you. And I said, for me not to speak the truth like this to you would be to empower you. I said, you know, if you never changed, I would still love you. If you never decided to walk clean with God, I would still love you and God would still love you. But if you're outside the perimeters of his word, it's going to hurt you and others and can hurt a generation. And I didn't tell him about what goes on inside the church because Paul said, you treat outsiders differently than those inside the church. There's a difference to, to, to treating a sinner outside the church and someone who's a believer inside the church. You have to address issues of sin inside the church. Very clear in scripture, a little bit of leaven will leaven the lump. And Paul, the apostle of grace, made it very clear that if there's immorality in an individual, then they have to leave. There's, you know, they cannot remain in the church. And you're not even supposed to eat with such one. You don't identify with them. Not because you don't love them, but because you love them. And because you love the flock and because you love God. And then you pray for them to come back so that they can be restored back in when the sin weight is off them. And that's what love looks like. And so I, I, I was sharing with my friend. I said, you know, if, if you and I were sitting across the table from each other and you had a glass of water with, with, with flavoring in it, that I knew was poisonous. And you said, oh, I love this flavored water. This flavor is so good. In fact, I bought a bucket of it. I just want to put it in all my water. I just want to live with this flavoring in my water all the time. And I knew that that flavoring was, was, was poison and it would kill him. 
It wouldn't be love for me to say, oh, you know what? I'm so glad that you like that, 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 that flavor. And, you know, it's just fine. I'm fine with you drinking that. Go ahead and drink it. I love you. Go ahead and drink it. And you watch them drink the poison? Is that love? Come on. Is it love? Is it? Love would say, please don't drink it. In fact, I'm going to take that cup from you. I'm going to take that bucket of flavoring from you. You don't understand, but there's poison in there, and it'll kill you, and I love you too much. I love you, and I love your life and your potential, and I'm going to lay my life down for you, and I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to preserve you in this so that you don't drink what's going to kill you. And that has to be our heart, not the anger and wrath. The, the anger of man will never achieve the righteousness of God. The love of God, the kindness of God, will lead a man to repentance. But the kindness of God and the love of God cannot compromise truth. You cannot compromise it. If a woman's going to have an abortion, you can't just say, well, I understand how hard it would be for you to raise this child, and I totally get the, the pain that you went through as you got pregnant and the cir circumstance around it, so I'll just be there with you as you abort your child. Go ahead and abort it. It's not love. Love would look different. Love would say, God has grace for you in this. God will strengthen you through this pregnancy. He will show you a better way. You are a champion. You are an overcomer. And I'm going to be here right alongside with you to help, uh, right alongside of you to help you. You see, it's just love will uphold truth. Love is not mean. Love is not cruel. Love is kind. So what does love look like in all these scenarios? In Exodus 34, 7, it says that the sins, the iniquities of individuals will be passed down to three to four generations. It travels down three to four generations, and this is where I want to bring you tonight, and I'm, I'm a little emotional about this. Because I look at the way the world is right now and all these problems, and it was interesting. I, I was having a meeting with a whole bunch of, of uh, millennials one day, and I said, I just want to know, what is it that you need? What do you like? What do you don't like? like I, I really have to get to know your heart. I really want to understand the way you think. And one of the things that came up was, well, we just want to be celebrated. We don't want to be told we're bad. Everyone thinks we're bad. And I, and I felt bad about them feeling bad. I thought, oh, well, that's, that's so sad. And then I got to thinking, yeah, I remember when I was your age, everyone thought we were bad too. The thing is, we were. <laughs> and that's what I want to talk about right now. I was born in 1951. And our parents were traditionalists, which were, they adhered to values, to family. They honored authority. They were diligent and worked. These were their values. Most of them were churchgoers and faithful to the house of the Lord, at least in American culture. This was our parents. And then post-war, things, things changed. The baby boomers came along and and we were the largest generation 
biggest generation alive post-war, the baby boomers. Everything was about us. We grew up with entitlement because we were the baby boomers. We had the silver spoon in our mouth. All the marketing and everything was for us. And so we grew up with different values. And I remember, I remember the moral values that I grew up with that I was taught by my parents were solid. My parents were not like born again Christians. I mean, every Canadian was called a Christian because we weren't a Buddhist nation. We were Christians, so we just thought we were all Christians, even though we weren't born again. But our family, our family went to church, at least on Easter, Chris, Christmas, weddings, funerals. I mean, we respected that the house of God. My mom and dad sent us kids to, to, to Sunday school because they knew it was right. And in our schools, we had, when we went to school, we opened every day with O Canada, that was our national anthem, then prayer, and then the Bible reading. Every single day before we studied our lessons, every single day had the Bible and prayer. At the end of the day in Canada, we sang, God save our gracious queen. God save our noble queen. God save the queen. The reason why the queen is born again today is because we sang a prayer over her every day. <laughs> all the Commonwealth nations did. I'm serious. <laughs> when you get all, every person in the Commonwealth nations, you know, all the kids praying, praying every day for the queen. She's, she's impossible for her not to get born again. That's why she's born again. <laughs> and so we had these standards growing up and I remember as a young teenage girl in junior high school that all of us wanted to be virgins when we got married there was not one of us that said oh I think I'll just go because we had names for girls that went and had sex with people before they got married that was not an honorable thing at all and so we had that mindset until until high school when they, the, you know, the big stuff in the 60s hit with free love, free sex, free everything. If it feels good, do it. And our generation, and what I'm about to share, I never participated in all these things, but I'm going to take ownership for it because my, my generation did it. But we started coming against, and you know, when you're in a deception, you think you're right. That's the nature of deception. That's why we need each other. That's why we need accountability because when you're in deception, you don't know it. It just feels right to you. It felt right to us to have sex with everyone. And we justified it. We said, well, you know, we were created as sexual beings. We were taught this in our social studies class in high school because we had a hippie Social studies teacher. And she used to smoke pot with us in between class. And she said, you're free sexual beings. And, and you know, the body is created to experience these wonderful things. And so, and so you just can. And you don't have to wait till you're married. And it was like, whoa, really? And so it was cool because it, the agreement, the mindset, the battle is in the mind. The mindset 
was, was that this was the right way to do it. This was the cool way. We got to resist and, and rebel against these, these, these standards that were just so binding because after all, we're free, you know? And we have what we call love feasts. Just be free. And we wanted our own way to express our spirituality as well. Listen to the sound of one hand clapping. Smell the color blue. You know, we don't have to go to church anymore. We don't have to read our Bibles anymore. We don't have to, we don't have to say those prayers anymore. And we don't even have to sing God Save the Queen anymore because we're going to do our own thing. Um, this, this happened in the 60s. And we also decided because we were having so much sex, we were getting pregnant. And so we thought, well, this is inconvenient because we were, we were told in that generation, don't get married right away. In fact, you don't even have to get married. You can live common law. And then when you get tired of that one, you can change and you don't have to get the divorce and split the assets and everything. It could just be easier that way. And if you get pregnant in the meantime, you can just abort the child. We were the voice. We were the voice that got prayer out of the school, that got Bible reading out of the school. They said, we're not going to pray for the queen's salvation anymore. We promoted abortion, and we fought to get it legalized. We smoked our pot back then. I mean, back then we smoked pot, did a bit of LSD. We went into all the hard drugs, and there wasn't much to choose from, a bit of pot or whatever, but we were just, yeah, why not? I mean, woo, you know, you can really enter into a realm out there if you smoke this stuff. That was the voice of our generation, and that voice started promoting the legalization of it right back then, started promoting the righteousness of it, saying this is the right thing to do. It makes you feel good. It relaxes you and all that kind of stuff. It started back in the 60s, the root was back in the 60s of all those things. Our sexuality, it was like, I mean, we, 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 we definitely didn't have any grid for homosexuality. We didn't have grid for transgender. We didn't have grid for, for pedophilia, any of that. But we were violating our sexuality, and we opened the door to promote sexual sin, and we called evil good. We called fornication good. We called cheating good. We called all those things good that the Bible said were evil. You don't need, you know, you don't need church anymore. You don't need anything because it's all about you. You just go out and just have fun and live your life because it's all about you. And we started to prosper. We were the first generation post-war to prosper. It was very, came, came easy to us. And so when we had our children, the Gen Xers, we were so busy with our own life. We said, you can raise yourself. First generation of Lockheed kids. The eye was no longer on the family. It wasn't on bringing up the children in the ways of the Lord and loving them to life and, and creating a safe haven. 
There was actually in our generation very little grid for family because it was all about us. We were the most selfish generation, I think, that had lived up to that time. It was all about us. We abandoned our spouses, our children, and everything to have our own way. It's extremely selfish. And we left our children without covering and exposed to generational sin because it'll go three to four generations, that sin. And we were so proud of being revolutionaries. We decided to speak our mind. We no longer honored authority. We just spoke up against them. Our parents never would have done that. And I'm not saying that there isn't a place for us to bring truth forward and to have a voice. We definitely need to have a voice, but not out of rebellion and not out of dishonor. And our generation was a generation that started sowing seeds of dishonor. And so if we fast forward right now to the millennials and the Gen Zs, we have left them because that's three to four generations, we've left them with a root that is no longer just sexual freedom to have sex with someone of the opposite sex before you're married. It's not that anymore. We are so confused about sexuality that children in schools today don't even know if they're a boy or a girl. We are so confused about sexuality today that we just think we can have any kind of sex anytime with animals, with children, with same sex, with opposite sex. It's just like, how did we get here? It was just yesterday that I was a teenager. I know that you don't think that, but it was. When I was a teenager, that young teenager in junior high, I mean, this is in my lifetime, I've seen these changes because it was never like that. Up until I went to high school, it was never like that. We never even heard about some of this stuff. And the drugs that we used back there, oh, we're so cool. We smoke the weed. But now it's a bunch of people who have lost their mind by it. Families are hurting. People can't function because they're stoned all the time. And nothing seemed to be able to stop the legalization of it. Why? Because the root is spiritual. Because the land is being visited by the iniquities of the forefathers. And so now we've got not just pot. We've got every drug imaginable, and we've got an addicted generation. And it doesn't matter what age you are. There's as many addicted amongst the baby boomers as there are amongst the millennials, the Gen Xers. We're just addicted. And it's because of a root issue of iniquity, iniquitous root. Little did we know. Little did we know. <laughs> what we were giving to the next generation. We just thought we were right. We thought we were cool. We thought we were, 
<laughs> you know, we've just thought, oh, this is the revolution. Sexual revolution, spiritual revolution, drug revolution. We change the rules so much on spirituality that today, even inside the church, there's no standard anymore. But I know that God is a merciful God. He's a merciful, merciful God. And he is so good. And when I was praying into understanding the generations, he said, you better understand your own first. He said, how will you ever be able to reach out and nurture? And I, I feel like unworthy to nurture any generation. But together we're going to fight this. It won't be just one generation. We all have to take our own responsibility. Every generation has blown it. And I'm just being honest for my generation. I'm taking ownership of our iniquity that has been passed down the generations. And please do not get bitter against us. And do not take up an offense because it will hurt you. You have to forgive us. And you have to choose to love us. And you also have to take responsibility. Take a good look at your own generation. What did your generation think was right and what you pushed forward? What are you doing right now in your generation that isn't aligned with the word of God? And I'm not picking on any particular generation. We're all in this boat together. We have failed the Lord. And we have turned away from his word. When Obama got elected in the first election, the night that he got elected, I heard this crack audible, an audible crack. It went And I saw it go from the west coast of the USA to the east coast of the USA. It cracked right across the nation. And the Lord said, there is now a moral crack in the fiber of the United States of America. And I said, oh, Lord, did the wrong president get elected? Did the wrong president get elected? And he said, it's not about the president. As the church goes, so goes the nation. And it doesn't matter what party or what person it is, if the church isn't settled on the word, that political leader and that political party will manifest the state of the church. The reason why our politicians are being a voice for immorality and coming against the, the values of the word is because of iniquitous patterns within the church. We can't judge them, and that's a sin too, by the way. Every time you badmouth a politician, your president, talk about honor. We're talking about honor. I, I hear the most atrocious things from Christians about government leaders. And you're not called to judge government leaders. You're called to love them and pray for them. Our prayers can change. Our prayers can change at all, but if we're... If we're cursing them, 
we're releasing that curse to take place. And we need to repent from that. I mean, okay, so in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, you know this one really good. But in verse 12 and 13, previously to it, it says, if the consequence of sin hits the nation, if the consequence of sin hits the nation, he says this, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Wow. What a merciful God. It says in 1 John 1.9, it says that if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What if we all took the word seriously and tonight even make things right with God and with one another? Could something shift in the spirit tonight to bring Bible foundations back, to bring our faith back to a whole nation? But I know one thing for sure, if the whole church won't do it, God will win this through a remnant. Because at the end of the day, we win. And I'm going to be in that remnant. I have chosen who I'm going to serve. And so I want to tonight publicly, in identificational repentance, I want to repent on behalf of my generation because I don't think I can pour into the generations tomorrow without taking responsibility. And I want to ask your forgiveness for our generation's carelessness. And some of you have suffered bondage in your life because of our choices. And I just feel awful about that, but I turn away from that. And I invite God to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That the slate will be cleared, that we'll take an ax to that root. And I'm asking for you to forgive us also. For those of you that are traditionalists, that you are of the older generation, my parents' generation. I'm so sorry on behalf of my generation. Jermaine, I'm so sorry that, that we rebelled against the values and the standards that your generation modeled for us. For the Gen Xers, I'm so sorry that we, we abandoned you and we only cared about ourselves. For the millennials, I am so sorry that you are paying the price now of generational iniquity that's gone down to you this far. And any Gen Zs that are in this room, I just, I just ask your forgiveness because our choices have hurt you. And I just feel that I'd like to have a representative from each generation just stand right now 
if you could just stand and then forgive our generation, if you could find it in your heart to forgive us, to speak it out, and to release forgiveness. Jermaine, did you want to start? Patricia, David, I forgive you. I love you. May God greatly bless you. I'm right there with your generation, too. So I don't want you to carry this by yourself. We did the same things. I'm just five years behind you. So, again, I want to shoulder that with my sister. Would you forgive me? Men did terrible things, abandoned their families. We did it all. We did horrible things to your generation. Again, out of selfishness. I want to ask for the same thing for forgiveness from my generation. I'll let someone else from a different age group. So as a Gen Xer, I forgive the generation before. And I shoulder the responsibility for my generation for just being confused and unwilling to, to pull the generation behind me forward. So I'm, I'm speaking tonight over all of the Gen Xers that we would be willing to sacrifice our dreams for their destiny. I choose to uh, forgive the generations before us. And as millennials, I say just, just forgive us for where we are. If we're not following God, he's called us to be burning ones. And I just repent for the generation after me. And ask for forgiveness, for equating knowledge with wisdom and knowledge with understanding. So I forgive and also ask for forgiveness for my generation. Is there anyone here like 16 or so that wants to forgive the generation on behalf of, of the Gen, Gen Zs? Hi. I think my generation is the uh, most screwed up one so far. <laughs> So if there's an award for that, <laughs> would you let me know? Uh, listen, I forgive your generation and all the generations before us, and I'm sure everyone in my generation would do the same thing. Because if it wouldn't be your generation, it would be the one after you, because that's just the prophecy of what would happen in the end times. And um, the final days are supposed to be the worst, and I feel, I count myself lucky to be one of the youth in the final days so I can save those who are the most deceived out of everybody in history. 
the disciples, when they were teenagers, they said, I would, I wish Jesus that I was born in the final days because I could use the abilities that you have given us and the information and the knowledge that you have given us to save those in the final days who will be the worst of in history in the entire world. I forgive you. Thank you so much. Now I believe that, you know, when the ax is taken to it because of God's goodness and his mercy, that he wants us to know that he is a God of grace and where sin abounds, grace that much more abounds. When we, when we align ourselves, it, it's like all of a sudden, it, it's like it's, it's gone. Those issues are gone and we can move forward. But the question is, how are we going to move forward? And it, there's a generation, and that includes all of us, because I saw it in the spirit, it was seamless. It's just seamless. We're all going to run together, and we're going to mutually honor each other and see the value in each other. And it's so beautiful, but it's coming about because it's all about him. And he showed me that this generation that's arising, all of us, in this hour, are going to have the invitation and the privilege to be the strongest generation for his glory that has ever lived. Standing stronger than Daniel, stronger than Joseph, stronger than John the Baptist. We haven't seen anything yet. We haven't seen what his grace can accomplish. And he says it's for anyone that has a passion to love him in that way, to live uncompromised. In Elijah's day, Ahab was a very wicked king. He was called the most wicked king. And that was before Jezebel, by the way. A lot of times people say, well, Ahab was just a wimp and Jezebel controlled him in that. Hello. He was a wicked king before Jezebel ever came along. The thing is, when you go into wickedness, you attract wickedness. And he attracted more, and then it grows exponentially. The leaders of Israel, Ahab as king, turned away from the word of God, and as a voice piece for evil, he other people followed him. And leaders, if you're in this room, I'm issuing you a warning. Do not lead the people of God astray from his word. Do not. He was called the most wicked king because he did. And he had them worship Baal. Jezebel comes along and they worship Ashtra, sexual deities. And all of Israel was affected. Not all of them succumbed, but all of them were affected by that wicked king. And so they started serving false idols, but there were 7,000 that refused. 7,000 that had marked their heart for God and saying, we're not going to bow. We will not bow. Elijah thought he was the only one. God said, I've got lots who, who feel the same as you. I'm in a room full of people. I think we all feel the same. I just have a sense that we have that much passion for God. And that we will be like those who didn't bow their knee to Baal. We will. 
But Elijah was strong in his day, but who's, who's going to be right, raised up in our hour will be stronger than Elijah. We're going to do it, and we're going to glorify God in this hour. It's going to be so amazing because the greatest harvest that has ever come in is at our fingertips right now. It's already coming in. And God wants us to align quickly so that we can see the power and the glory and the majesty of his presence in the earth. So what I want to ask as we're finishing up here right now, I want to ask you to stand if you are resonating with the desire to be that one that will not bow, that one that will stand on the word no matter what. That no matter what society says, no matter what, what the world tells you, no matter what even... Even Christian leaders tell you, if it's against the word, you'll say, no, not me. I love you, but I'm going the way of my God. I'm going to speak the truth to you. I'm not going to judge you with bitterness. I'm not going to hate you. I'm not going to loose wrath out against you. I'm going to love you, but I'm going with my God. And I'm going to separate myself from those ways. This is who's standing before me right now. Lovers of God. You are lovers of God. And so just commit yourself to the Lord right now. Just, just let him know in your own words. You can all start praying at the same time, but just yield yourself to God. Lord, we yield ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you afresh, God, tonight. We yield our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our, our, our substance, our agendas. We yield it all to you, God. We give ourselves to you afresh tonight as righteous radicals in a wicked and evil day. And we thank you, Lord, that in that we arise and shine because our light has come and the glory of the Lord is rising upon us that we might make you great in the nations and that we might see you glorified. For we will believe the truth concerning you, concerning your kingdom, and concerning your ways. And wow, I can just feel a grace fall upon you that is delighting my soul. It's delighting my soul. And we're going to do it together. It doesn't matter what age group. It doesn't matter what generational affinity you have. Is We're going to do this together. We're going to glorify him together. And it'll be the first time maybe in all of church history that we see these generations running together with mutual honor because we are in love with him. Amen? Give the Lord a big praise right now. He's so amazing. So awesome. He's